how do you get better at something? If you want to master a certain activity, a sport or some other activity, a very good way to master something is to do it and to do it and to do it again, to do it over and over, not thoughtlessly, but deliberately, intentionally, seeking improvement and seeking growth. And that's the section of the catechism we're in where every year the church encourages us from the scriptures to train, to grow, to practice our life of prayer. And this is not something the catechism has made up. It's a summary and it's a confession of the teaching of scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Luke 18 verse 1, the Lord Jesus tells that parable, that well-known parable of the, the widow with that that unfaithful judge, and he introduces it, or it's introduced in this way in Luke 18, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's right after the apostle has given us that beautiful description, that amazing stirring description of the Christian in the full armor of God, standing firm. And with all the, the armor and, the, and the, the sword of the Spirit, he ends that off by saying, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's how we fight our battles, with the Word of God open, with our eyes looking up, and with our hands stretched out in prayer toward heaven. And so that's one thing we, we can pray for. We can pray, Lord, teach me how to pray. Lord, grow my prayer life. Deepen my life of prayer. I, I would imagine that it would be hard to find any Christian, no matter how old, that would say, I've reached perfection in my prayer life. I don't need to grow anymore. I think we all would long to be better at speaking with God and pouring out a heart before his face. Now, we've got to remember the, the context of the catechism. The catechism is dealing with prayer and the third part, which deals with thankfulness it's dealing with prayer right after it dealt with the law. And that's important. There's, there's a reason why it's set up this way. God has delivered us from the Egypt of sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. He's given us the law of perfect liberty. And the Catechism has gone through that law and described it as the life that we are free to live as, as the children of God. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. So we're free to, to serve, free to worship, free to live for God, for holiness, and away from sin. But here's the problem. Just as we couldn't lift a finger to contribute to our justification, our deliverance from sin, so we are unable in any way to contribute to our sanctification, to our growth in the new life. Life, just as we need God 
to scrub us clean from our sins. We can't do that. Only he can. So we need God and his power to change us and to make us newer and newer, more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we need prayer. That's why we need to pray so much, because we need God to be at work in us. And so we pray, Lord, thank you for your salvation. Lord, thank you for my justification. Lord, thank you that we are declared righteous because of Christ's death and resurrection. Thank you for the freedom for which you have set us free. Thank you for the holiness which we have in Christ. Thank you for the new life that you offer in the Spirit. And please, God, make that new life be at work in me. And what does the Bible promise? What does the Lord Jesus promise? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Your Father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. If you find, as I think probably all of us do, I certainly do, if you find that you're really not growing in holiness and sanctification as you would wish, you wish you were a lot more like the Lord Jesus. You wish you wouldn't get angry so quickly. You wish you wouldn't be so attracted by certain sins or by sin in general. You wish you wouldn't be so easygoing with sin. Certainly, I think all the saints, all those who love the Lord Jesus, desire, long to be more like him. And God is telling us, all you need to do is ask. It's not something that you can work on. It's not something you can purchase or buy ask. And that's what prayer is. So the Lord Jesus has has taught us to pray. This is the the Lord's prayer. And he taught us to come in prayer to our all-powerful God, who is at the same time our loving Father. And so he can do everything that we ask. And he wishes to do everything that we ask that is for his glory and our good, because it's our Father. He loves to hear us. He loves to incline his ear to his children's Christ. And so we ask in faith, and the Lord Jesus taught us that, first of all, that his name be hallowed, that he would be glorified. So Jesus teaches us that the primary focus of our church, of, of our prayer, is, is not to come to the Lord with a, a shopping list of things that we want, or a shopping list of complaints, a laundry list of complaints, things that we want him to deal with. The Lord Jesus says, you need to come to my Father, your Father, in prayer. The first thing, the main thing on your mind needs to be that, God, you need to be glorified. That's the focus of my prayer. That's the goal. That's the priority. That's the overwhelming desire of my prayer. That's why I pray. And that's why I pray for the things that I do pray for, because I want God's name to be hallowed. And so that's what the church does. Psalm 34, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. How often throughout the scriptures do we hear that call? Let's worship God. Let's praise him. Let's glorify him for he is worthy. Now, when we begin our prayer, and you can notice I'm reviewing a little bit the last Lord's days here. When we begin our prayer, 
in that way, then suddenly all of our problems and desires and joys and afflictions, they all come into perspective. When we look at God and His glory, then my needs, my concerns, my desires are only significant, are only meaningful in the measure that they relate to seeking God's glory. This is an important thing to think about. If my prayer begins with that desire, hallowed be your name, that means that everything I ask for, also my personal needs and desires and concerns, need to relate to that overarching goal of life and of prayer, that he would be glorified. That's the first thing we see as the Lord introduces to us the Lord's Prayer. The second thing we see is this, that, that my needs and my concerns and my desires are not just personal and individual. They are significant in the measure that I am part of the family of God, seeking together the glory of our heavenly Father. That's why Jesus doesn't teach us to pray, my Father in heaven. He teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven. Well, we heard this morning how the church is a body. And so one member cannot have concerns and preoccupations just for that one member. It's always in the context of connection with the rest of the body and with the head. And so Lord, the Lord Jesus reminds us of that as he teaches us to pray, our Father. We pray with all the saints, with a united focus and desire and objective. And if we understand that, that we pray for God's glory, that we pray with the church of all times and places, then we understand that there is no room for personal wish lists or lists of private demands for God to fulfill. That does not fit with the character of prayer. And so we come to the petitions that we're dealing with today, your kingdom come and your will be done. Now, when we look at that prayer, your kingdom come, then it's very, very easy for us to right away jump to the political. There are lots of things that need to be changed in the world. And we can think, well, if the Lord Jesus is teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, we want to see you know, Psalm 2, those kings that rebel against the rule of God, that they would be smashed with a rod of iron. And we want to see God's kingdom established in the world. And, but what does the catechism remind us of? Certainly, God's rule and commands must be established in the world. But the catechism reminds us that the kingdom of God doesn't begin with changing the world. It ends with that. It ends with a, a world which is totally changed, in which there is no more enemies of God, and all is under the gracious and sovereign rule of our Lord. Every knee bows and every tongue confesses. That's where it ends. But it doesn't begin there. It doesn't begin with earthly power and political changes, but it begins in my heart. And so when we're praying, 
your kingdom come. What we're praying is not, Lord, change the world. We're praying, Lord, change my heart. Change me. Well, that's a lot harder. Have you ever noticed how it's really easy to look at someone else's life and figure out exactly what they should do to be living a better life? It's very easy. We always know all the answers for how other people should be living. At least I find it very easy. But when you look at yourself, it's not that easy. It's more complicated. And that's where we need to begin. That's where we need to be focusing on if we truly desire to pray for the coming of the kingdom. What did the Lord Jesus say in John chapter 3, verse 3? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? He's saying this, that unless you have a new heart, unless you have a changed heart, you can't even see the kingdom. That's what Christ meant in the reading that we read in Luke chapter 17. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, and they're thinking in that political terms there, and he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Or we could translate, it's inside you. It's within you. What is Jesus saying? He's saying this, it's a spiritual reality in the heart. That's where the kingdom begins. And that change will, in the end, change the entire universe. And so what are we asking for? Your kingdom come. How are we asking for it? We're asking, Lord, change me first. Change my heart. Change my desires. Change my priorities. Give me delight in your commands. Give me submission. Not my bucket list not my life and career goals, not my desires, not my dreams, but your kingdom come. And once we've looked at our hearts, we look outwards and we, we look first of all at the church, preserve and increase your church. And what we're seeing is, Lord, grow the number of people with changed hearts. The church is God's witness to the world. The church is the assembly of men and women and children who have hearts changed by the power of the Spirit of God, who by the grace of God are submitting more and more to the King of Kings. And where the church is, the kingdom is. The church is an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. The church is the embassy of the kingdom. Wherever the church is in the world, there the banner of the King of Kings is flying high above. And we pray with deep desire to see the church grow and expand, that every place, every town, every city would have access to faithful biblical worship and to faithful preaching of the gospel. It is impossible to pray from the heart, your kingdom come, without desiring, together with that and wrapped up in that, the desire of the psalmist, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls 
of Jerusalem. And so we pray your kingdom come. We pray for changed hearts and for the growth and the advance of the church. Then we, and I'm just going through the Lord's Day here, then we also pray, destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. So we pray for the coming of the kingdom in the certainty of victory, that every opposition will be destroyed, that as Psalm 2 delights in proclaiming the Messiah will smash with a rod of iron all those who rebel against his holy, sovereign, and good rule. And as I prayed at the beginning of the worship service, this is something which is part of the growth of the kingdom. The, the kingdom grows, it expands to fill the entire earth. And that means, necessarily, that the kingdoms of the world must be destroyed. They must fall into pieces. That's what happens to that great statue there in the vision in Daniel. And again, that does happen. But how does it happen? How do we get there? We get there not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how the Lord works, by his spirit. One changed heart at a time. You know, sometimes we think, sometimes young people might think, children might think, you know, I wish it was easier if, if, if the enemy was somebody we could see. We just pick up a real sword or a gun and we just fight them. It'd be so much easier. You know exactly what you're dealing with. But the fight is spiritual. And it's not always obvious. It's not always clear. We can't see all the contours of the fight because it's happening in the heart. But that's the way the kingdom advances. One changed heart at a time, which is why it's worth praying for our neighbors, praying for our colleagues at work, praying for the people we study with, praying for our family members who are not believers, praying, speaking the love of God, the word of God into their lives. It's worth it, just one heart at a time, because that's how the kingdom advances. Now, in the kingdom, the king has established that when people align with his will, as established in his law, then there is happiness and there is joy. If people are doing the opposite of the king's will, there is chaos and revolution and there's no kingdom to speak of. And we see that with earthly kingdoms. We see that, for instance, in France, where for many weeks now there have been massive, massive violent protests and violent reactions from the authorities. And there comes to the point that normal life cannot go on. And if that continues, if the government no longer is able to maintain law and order, you don't have a kingdom, you have anarchy. And so in a country where there is peace and joy and prosperity and well-being, we need a people that obeys the law. And that is the meaning of the next uh, petition, which the Lord teaches us to pray. Your will be done. Your will be done. If God is the great king of kings, if his kingdom is to come, it comes in the way 
of men, women, and children submitting to his will, not ours. And now, look there in Lord's Day 49, you'll see again that it starts with us. It starts with the hardest thing, really, for us. Grant that we and all men. So it starts with me. It starts with us. What we're asking is this. Lord, change me. Change us. Change our hearts. Help us to accept your sovereign, good, and perfect will. There are so many things that I want that you haven't given. There are so many things that you've given that I don't want. Teach me to deny my own will, because my own will is fleshly and sinful and selfish and not to be trusted. And help me, without any murmuring, to obey your will, for it alone is good. And I think as parents, we look at that without any murmuring. and We think of when we tell the children to clean up the kitchen or wash the dishes, and sometimes they do it, hopefully, usually they do it, but sometimes they do it grumbling. They do it but with a sour expression. They do it muttering under their breath because who are you to impose upon their precious time and to use up their precious resources of energy, which they could be using for playing computer games, for instance. And so that murmuring, we can see it in the children, and it's, it's sad, isn't it, to see? But then we look in the mirror, and we realize that we do exactly the same thing to God, to our Father in heaven, that his will is clear in our lives, and we rail against it. We, we bridle at it. We're like, Lord, you're telling me to do this, but it's not convenient. It's taking away from my pleasures. It's putting in danger my comfort. You want me to be like this. You want me to think like this. You want me to speak like this. You want me to, to live in this way, but it might put my job in danger or it might put my, my financial situation in danger. And so, even though we're a lot more sophisticated about it, we adults know how to murmur just as well as our teenage kids do. And that's why we pray, Lord, change me. Get rid of that Root it out of my heart. Uproot it from my heart. Now, is this, is this a safe thing to pray for? Grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without murmuring obey your will. If you would show this to a, a, a psychologist who is not a believer all kinds of alarm bells would go off, all kinds of red flags. Wait a minute, this sounds really bad. It sounds like an abusive situation where you're not even taking into account your own desires, your own will. You're just like a slave of being the will of some other being. And of course, it would be unhealthy and pathological if this were a reference to any creature, to any person. No creature, no person has total dominion over us, or can claim total obedience from us. None. But God can. Because he is good. Because he is all-powerful. Because he is our creator, our sovereign, the one who gives us life and breath and anything and everything. Because he is good. 
unchangeably good, perfectly good, infinitely good, and His will is good. Even when we think, Lord, I'm not quite sure how this works. It seems to me that your will is going to cause pain for me. And that's all we can see. But we know that His will is good. His will alone is good. Why? Because God's will is His glory and our salvation. God's will is our sanctification to make us holy like He is holy. And the only way to live as a Christian is to trust that His will is perfectly good, even when it's scary. Now think of a surgeon. A surgeon's going to give you, well, together with the, the team, of course, and the anesthesiologist, they're, they're going to put you under, but then the surgeon is going to take a scalpel and it's going to start cutting into the several layers of your body to get to your insides. Now think about that. You're unconscious and somebody is opening up your body. If you're getting an open heart surgery, they're sawing your ribcage open and they're opening you up totally. That's a lot of trust. You're, you're trusting that the surgeon wants to make you better and is going to take care of you when you're totally vulnerable. Now, would it make sense to say, don't put me under, I want to be awake for this, so I can grab the surgeon's hand and make sure he does a good job? Would that make sense? No, it wouldn't, because we have no idea what we're doing. First of all, we wouldn't be able to stand the pain, but also we wouldn't be able to know how to guide the surgeon's hand, because he knows, or she knows, we don't. We don't know what the right thing to do is. And so we give ourselves, we give our life into the hands of that surgeon. We trust. And that's what we do all the time with God. We give our entire life over to Him. And He does what He has ordained to do. He cuts. And He opens us up sometimes. And He does all kinds of things that sometimes we're not quite sure what he's doing or why he's doing it. And so when we pray, Lord, your will be done, we're saying, Lord, teach me to trust you. Teach me to trust that the way that you lead my life is far better than the way that I would wish to lead my life. And then the last part of Lord's Day 49, grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. What we're asking is this, Lord, give me to be faithful. You have your will ordained for my life. I have a job to do. I have a, an office. I have a calling in your kingdom. Give me the right attitude. The angels don't complain. The angels don't second guess the angels don't mumble under their breath. With the angels, to hear is to obey. When God commands, off they zoom to fulfill the command. And we say, Lord, make it like that for me. Make me like that. Quick to obey. Rejoicing to obey your will. This is what God has called me to be. 
This is the job that God has given me in his kingdom. Lord, help me to embrace it. This is the life that you have given me to live. Help me to live it joyfully, faithfully, humbly, with all my heart, and obediently to the best of my ability. Now, we were, we've been singing through Psalm 72. And did you notice, did you notice as we, as we sang how much emphasis there is on the character of the kingdom of God? You know, we, we as Christians often get caught up on certain aspects of God's will, often having to do with sexual purity and things that are related to it, and they're important things. But notice as we sang through Psalm 72 how the psalmist emphasized defending the poor and the needy, seeking peace, and justice, restoring the faint and the weak, making justice to gush like a fountain. As God's people, as we're called to, to pray for the coming of the kingdom, as we're called to pray for the doing of his will, we need to pray that with an understanding of what the character of the kingdom is. And pray that God would work in our hearts a holy desire to live in accordance with the character of the kingdom in our own lives, our own families, our own relationships, our own communities. So, how we need to pray. Because we easily get caught up in one issue here or one issue there. We go off on tangents. We seek our kingdoms or we have our own hobby horses, every one of us. We seek our own will. There are some things that are very important to us, and they become the priority in our prayers. And we tend so quickly to forget the big picture of the kingdom of God and to abandon our God-given task and office and to pursue a job description that aligns more with our own desires. How we need to pray, how easy it is to fall into a life of my kingdom come, my will be done, even though there's a lot of layers of Christian talk over the top of it. Now, no amount of hard work will keep us on the right path. Only the power of God will keep us in the kingdom of God, living to the glory of God. And fervent, regular prayer opens the tap which pours that power into our lives and changes everything. It's prayer that opens that tap. And if you're experiencing a time of being in the desert with your prayer life, and you're noticing that it's hard to prioritize the kingdom of God, it's hard to live in holiness. It's hard to put the will of God first. If you find yourself evaluating the cost-benefit ratio of what to say and what to do in a certain situation at work, and, and the focus is on, is this going to affect my job? 
Is this going to get me fired? Is this going to get me canceled? Is this going to make me lose reputation or to uh, take a financial hit? If those are the highest order things that we're thinking about when we're dealing with challenges to our faith, then probably we need to be praying more for God to open our eyes to the realities and the glory of his kingdom, which is far higher than ours, and praying in a way that opens that tap and which allows the power of the kingdom of God to gush into our lives and to change everything. A praying Christian is afraid of nothing. A praying Christian can face the lions. A praying Christian can face death, can look death in the face. Because a praying Christian knows that though they lose everything, yet they lose nothing. They gain something which is more than everything. And so keep praying, child of God. Pray all the time with your eyes closed and your eyes open. Begin and end your day with prayer. Pray throughout your day. Pray through your activities. Pray through your relationships. Young people, as you're getting to know each other, pray for each other and with each other. Pray at all times. Pray in all circumstances. In every type of prayer, because God hears prayer and God answers prayer. And as you pray for his name to be hallowed and his kingdom to come and his will to be done, they will come more and more in focus. And he will give you grace to understand your place and your role in that kingdom, to accept it, to embrace it, and to flourish and to bloom where he has planted you. I want to stop for a second here got one line left in the sermon, but I want to speak specifically to people that are sorely afflicted and a lot of pain dealing with hard things in your life. Maybe nobody else knows about it. And you've been praying and praying and praying for God to take this affliction away. And you know, if the highest, I'm not saying you're a bad Christian if you do that, because it, it makes sense to pray for God to take the pain away. That's totally fine. It's totally normal. Nobody's going to ask God for more pain. But think about this. Is that the highest order thing on, on my radar? That I live a life free of pain? And, and you're a Christian, you know that the answer is no. There is something higher. There's the glory of God. There's the kingdom of God. There's the will of God. Those are far higher. And so maybe, maybe it's time if you've been praying and praying and God hasn't given the relief from your pain. Maybe it's time to say, Lord, I have no idea what you're doing. I don't know why this has to hurt so much. I don't know why my heart has to be ripped like this. But you are good. Perfectly good. And everything is for your glory, even this pain. Even if I don't know how, but you do. And everything will be according to your will, and your will is good and perfect and sovereign, even though I can't figure out why or how you're doing this. So when we seek our meaning and our significance 
and our value, not in the level of comfort or pleasure or peace that we have in this world, but if we seek it in our place in his eternal kingdom, then what we seek, we will find. What we ask for, we will receive. So knock and keep knocking because he will open to you. Amen.